Must be at least 18 years old. Promo code, location, and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. Please play responsibly. Call 800-426-2537 for help. Think you know sports? Then try to turn your sports knowledge into real money with the Sleeper app, the ultimate fantasy sports app that can turn game day into payday. With up to 100 times payout and your first deposit matched up to $500. Just download the Sleeper app and pick your favorite sports and players, like Christian McCaffrey's rushing yards. With more stats than any sports app, just choose two or more of your favorite players from pregame, live, or even across different sports. Pick more or less from the predicted stats and ka-ching. You could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins. With the Sleeper app, you can make picks anytime, even after the game starts. With up to 100 times payout, what are you waiting for? Download Sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports apps in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the Sleeper app today, and use code SPORTS for up to $500 match on your first deposit. That's promo code SPORTS. for listening tonight. My name is Sandman, and I will be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call parareality. Well, it is Friday, June 5th, 2020, and today is my birthday. Not going to tell you how old I am, but let's just say I'm friggin' old. And, uh, of course, thanks to the miracles of modern technology, this is pre-recorded. So I am, as of this moment, probably out somewhere celebrating my birthday, despite the fact that all this COVID-19 stuff is going on. And, you know, everybody's releasing their their lockdown um, restrictions, so... um, as of as of the time that I'm recording this podcast, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to be doing, where I'm going. My wife won't tell me, um, mainly because uh, she doesn't know. <laughs> she keeps asking me what I want to do. And I'm like, I I, I, I don't want to do anything. I, you know, I've never been a really big celebrator of my birthday. And to me, it's just like another day. But anyway, happy birthday to me. So I, of course, will take any and all uh, birthday presents, just send me an email, sandman at parareality.com, and I'll tell you where you can send my birthday package to. <laughs> All right, so if you have been a long-time listener to this podcast, 
you'll know that I'm fascinated by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. In fact, I've done about half a dozen episodes about them over the years, and they always seem to get good ratings. So it would seem that I'm not the only person who's fascinated by these guys. And if you've ever taken the time to really investigate the Nazis, you'll probably have found that they have a lot of extremely strange beliefs. In fact, they went to great lengths to prove these beliefs were true and not just some crazy fantasy. Unfortunately, just about all of them were crazy fantasies, Uh, mainly the crazy fantasies of one man, uh, Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's head of the SS, and really his right-hand man in just about everything that happened with Nazi Germany. And to me, it seems that Himmler's primary goal within the Third Reich was to completely rewrite German history and replace it with what he personally wanted it to be. In other words, he wanted to make Germany some kind of otherworldly, ethereal, esoteric nation that was destined for world domination. So, on tonight's journey into the realm of parareality, I'm going to take you, my loyal listeners, on a secret journey into the world of Nazi Germany. Specifically, we'll be journeying into the realm of Nazi science, and together we will investigate the Nazi hollow earth theory. But to learn more, of course, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. However, Before we begin tonight's journey, let me tell you how you can contact me here at the podcast because, as you know, there are several different ways you can do it, and here they are. First of all, you can email me at the show. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Secondly, you can find me on Facebook by uh, just uh, going to Facebook and looking for my Parareality page on Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash parareality. And third, you can always follow me on Twitter. My uh, username on Twitter or my handle is at Radio. That's Radio on Twitter. And last, of course, you can always call the studio line at 615-692-1170 and leave me a message. That number to call once again is 615 692 1170. I'm in the studio a lot working on the podcast, so you just might catch me there. Maybe, just maybe, I'll answer the phone. You never know. And uh, also, if you do decide to leave me a message, um, and uh, you're you're just by leaving me that message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the show. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Just say, hey, I don't want this played back. Otherwise, the chances that you'll get your uh, stuff played back on the show is pretty high. And I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast. So if you have a story that you'd like to get on the show, tell it to me over the voicemail. You can just tell me your story. And uh, if you run out of time, I think there's a like a five-minute limit or something like that. If you run out of time, call back, pick up where you left off. So once again, all the ways you can get in touch with me here on the Parareality Podcast is email sandman at parareality.com. 
follow me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash parareality or just type in on the Facebook search there, parareality, and you can be taken to my parareality page. You can always follow me on Twitter by looking under the name or handle at parareelradio. That's at parareelradio. Or you can call the studio line 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is area code 615. Then dial 692-1170. Leave me a message. And don't forget, if you don't want your message played back on the air, you'd better let me know somewhere in that message or the chance that you'll get it, you know, get some sort of surprise and have it played back on the on, on the podcast is uh, it's pretty high. So I just may do that. All right, so those are all the ways you can get in touch with me here on Parareality. And now it's time for me to do a little bit of fan mail. This week's fan mail comes from Brian. And Brian is writing to me about the uh, Colorado drone show that I did back on January 17th of this year. And Brian writes, Try to find information about drones mimicking air traffic control towers. I have seen these in Nevada when I lived there in Silver Springs. I recall something about drones mimicking the towers. They do have market lights and they do start in the evening and disappear in the morning. Nevada in 2015 or 2014 was licensed to do drone testing. Everyone has seen them. They would just hover. You would see them spaced apart. It is a big mystery. They are big. Drones are now just common. I don't live in Nevada anymore, so I couldn't tell you if they are still flying at night. I wish I could go and see. I still think it was all just testing. Drones nowadays, I think, are made to communicate with towers. You can get tickets and such for flying outside of the airspace. Plus, you need a license to fly. Well, Brian, thank you for that email. And once again, he is referring to the uh, Colorado Drones mystery episode that I did back on, I believe it was January 17th of this year, 2020. You'll recall, um, I think it was back starting in November or December, um, where we started having these mystery drones uh, around Colorado where um, uh, just like people were seeing them just hovering there at night and they were fly around and there were a bunch of them it was strange how these drones started around the same time as the um, back then it was the novel coronavirus was starting in Wuhan China now I'm, I'm not trying to make any kind of connection there at all because there certainly isn't the drones were here in Colorado and the COVID-19 it it originated in Wuhan China so they are not connected I'm just saying it's it's a strange coincidence that uh, both of them started around the same time. So uh, anyway, Brian, it's, it's interesting about the drones mimicking the air traffic control towers because I hadn't thought about that. Um, and, and that brings up another question of why would they want to do that? What's the motive behind it? So I don't, I don't know why they would want to mimic air traffic control towers. Now, and I also did not know that... Uh, in Nevada, they were doing drone testing where the drones would just hover and everything. But I, I'm assuming, since you said that was back in 2014 or 2015, I'm assuming back then that um, 
people knew about it. Maybe they had some sort of press release or, or, or something like that, and it was reported on the news and in the papers and stuff because there was nothing. I don't remember in 2014 or 2015 any big mystery drone sighting in Nevada. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming if these people are doing some sort of drone testing that um, they forgot to do a press release or maybe just didn't do it on purpose. Uh, and you are correct. Um, most people who are piloting drones, especially those of the commercial kind, do need a license to do that. Um, I think we probably discussed that on my, my episode back in January. Um, had a special guest, um, friend of the show, uh, Mr. John Harrison was was on, and he was discussing the drones. And he lives out in the desert out west, and. Um, out in, uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly where he lives because he he doesn't he doesn't want me to tell people where he lives. But let's just say he lives in the desert in New Mexico. Okay, and uh, I've asked him if he's seen any drones or any like strange lights in the sky or anything like that since he's been back, and he has not. Um, now, a, a funny or not funny, but an, an interesting, um, uh, I guess, conclusion to this mystery drone thing is, if you notice, uh, they were all over the news, and then all of a sudden, it just people just stopped reporting on it. Well, I, I think that's for two reasons. Number one, because of COVID nineteen, that was a much bigger story, and number two, um, they just kind of disappeared. I mean, you, you, no one's seeing them anymore, and they never found out who or what was controlling these things. They never um, was able to make any headway in the investigation. You know, they did a, a the, the sheriff's department did an extensive investigation and they tried to follow them and all this other sorts of stuff. And, and they just never could find out anything about these drones. And so uh, they just kind of disappeared and dropped, so to speak, dropped off the radar. <laughs> Interesting to say that. But yeah, so uh, thanks, Brian, for the email. And I wish I had more answers for you. And you do bring up some pretty interesting questions. So uh, once again, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a email, a question, comment that you'd like to ask me or something you'd like to tell me, you can always, of course, email the show, sandman at parareality.com. Or you can uh, just call the studio line. Leave it on the studio line, 615 615- Six nine two, one one, seven zero. All right, so let's talk about the Nazis, guys. One of my favorite topics. And no, I am not a Nazi. I'm not a fan of the Nazis. I'm just very fascinated by them, and it's just one of the what they were able to do to to that nation of Germany. I don't think is ever going to be. Um, able to be duplicated again in the history of mankind, and that is a good thing, trust me. Um, but they had a a lot of strange beliefs, and uh, they had these wild theories that they were trying to prove. And I've talked about a few things on this podcast in the past. Uh, specifically, uh, did they have an Antarctic base? some secret Antarctic base? Um, did they have a, a, were they experimenting with time travel? Do they have a secret base on the moon? You know, um, 
there's just lots and lots of, of there's so it's almost an endless catalog of stuff about the Nazis that you can you can talk about as far as their esoteric and occult beliefs. And one of the things that they believed in or that they were trying to prove was that the earth was hollow. So imagine this, okay? It's in the last days of World War II. It's in 1944, the Allies are closing in, Berlin's crumbling under the weight and the impact of hundreds of Allied bombs, and deep inside of his fortified bunker, Adolf Hitler, the once unshakable Fuhrer, unshakable in his confidence that Nazi would dominate the world, is now faced and has to admit that defeat is imminent. But Hitler's determined never to suffer the humiliation of being captured by his enemies. We all know that, right? So there's only one escape route, one that he's planned for should he ever face just such a turn of events like this. So suicide is out of the question. Instead, Hitler and his core of elite Nazis traverse through an underground tunnel into an isolated all the way to an isolated airstrip. There, they board an unmarked plane and fly southward, south to the pole, to the opening at the South Pole, where they will enter the hollow earth and disappear from history. The theory that the earth is hollow is based on the ancient legends of many cultures that say there are races of people, entire civilizations in fact, that thrive in subterranean cities. Very often, it's stated these dwellers of the underworld are more technologically and spiritually advanced than those of us here on the surface. Some people even believe that UFOs are not from other planets, but are manufactured by these beings from the Earth's interior. And it's also believed that one of these advanced civilizations is called Argatha, a legendary city that's said to reside in the Earth's core. It's thought that the many cataclysms and wars that took place on the surface drove these ancient people underground, and that's according to uh, a book called uh, Secrets of the Subterranean Cities. Consider the lengthy Atlantean-Lemurian War and the power of of thermonuclear weaponry that eventually sank and destroyed these two highly advanced civilizations. That's according to the book here. The Sahara, the Gobi, and the Australian outback and the deserts of the U.S. are just a few examples of the devastation that resulted from this war. The subsidies were created as refuge for the people and as safe havens for sacred records teachings, and technologies that were cherished by these ancient cultures. That's according to this book, Secrets of Subterranean Cities. So that kind of takes us to this hollow earth theory, right? This alternate scenario to history is actually accepted as fact by proponents of the hollow earth theory. And as incredible As this sounds, the genesis of this story lies in some facts that carry 
at least a little bit of merit. Some of Hitler's top advisors, it's even speculated that maybe even Hitler himself believed that the earth was hollow and that there was at least one expedition by the Nazi military to exploit that belief for strategic advantage during the war. Now, as with all stories like this, it's often difficult to sort out the facts and and the exaggerations and the outright fabrications. But it's an intriguing tale and one that requires a little background. So from time immemorial, people have believed that there is another world lying just beneath the surface of our planet. To a number of cultures, the ancient Greeks for one, it's a dark place filled with the souls of the dead. But most of these early beliefs were more metaphorical or mythological in origin. Now, modern science holds that the earth is an unbroken series of layers, crust, and liquid magma surrounding a dense, hot core made primarily of iron and nickel. But not everyone is convinced of this. In the 17th century, some of the leading scientific minds of the time came up with a new theory, and that was that the planet is actually hollow. And this idea has proved over the course of time to be incredibly durable. In other words, it has stuck around to even to this very day, and there are people who still believe that the earth is hollow. Now, there are some different hollow earth theories. There, are, matter of fact, there are several hollow earth theories. The most prevalent one holds that there are great uh, but hidden openings at both the North and the South Poles and that it is possible to enter these holes. And some people, including the renowned Admiral Byrd, which if you remember from my uh, Nazi Antarctic base episode, was in charge of Operation High Jump, um, Admiral Byrd, claim to have entered these holes. And according to the legends, other civilizations live within the earth on its inner surface, warmed and lit by some kind of a, uh, an interior sun. The idea has inspired novels by people like Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and Jules Verne. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe wrote... Uh, Oh, I can't. Is something something about something found in a bottle? Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote uh, at the Earth's core, and of course Jules Verne. Everyone knows that he wrote a journey to the center of the Earth. <clears throat> now, in the late seventeenth century, British astronomer Edmund Halley proposed that the Earth consists of four concentric spheres, each nestled inside the other. He also suggested that the interior of the earth was populated with life and lit by a luminous atmosphere. He thought that the aurora borealis, or the, or the northern lights, was caused by the escape of this luminous atmospheric gas through a thin crust at the poles. And one, Now, I'm talking about Edmund Halley here. That's the same person that is credited for... Halley's Comet, you know, that comes around every, what, 72 years or so? 
Yes, that Edmund Halley. So this astronomer who we credit for the discovery of this comet also believed that the Earth was hollow. Kind of strange, isn't it? In the 18th century, Leonard Euler, a Swiss mathematician, replaced the multiple spheres theory with a single hollow sphere which contained a sun inside the Earth uh, that was 600 miles wide that provided heat and light for an advanced civilization that was living under the, under the Earth. And one of the most ardent supporters of the hollow Earth theory was a 19th century guy by the name of John Sims. Um, Sims was an ex-army officer and a businessman, and he believed that the Earth was hollow and had entrances located at both poles, north and south. And Sims promoted the idea of interior concentric spheres so widely that the alleged openings to this inner world has been named Sims Holes. And uh, look it up, S-Y-M-M-E-S, Sims Hole. Look it up. Now, in 1846, the discovery of an extinct woolly mammoth frozen in ice in Siberia was used by Marshall Gardner as evidence that there was, a, in fact, a hollow earth. Gardner subscribed to the single sun inside the earth theory and suggested that the mammoth was so well preserved because it had only died just recently. Gardner thought that mammoths and other extinct creatures wandered freely in the interior of the earth. This one had wandered outside by using one of the Sims holes at the North Pole, then was frozen and carried to Siberia on an ice flow. That was the theory. The idea has inspired novels by Edgar Allan Poe, in which he used the theme of the hollow earth in the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, which I think was written in 1838. Jules Verne, of course, wrote Journey to the Center of the Earth in 1864, and Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, the creator of uh, uh, Martian Adventures and Tarzan of the Apes, most famously, wrote novels set inside this hollow earth. Now, in 1869, a man named Cyrus Reed Teed, an herbalist and self-proclaimed alchemist, proposed an additional theory called the inverted earth. And he believed that our civilization, us, actually exists on the inside of the globe. And we are held fast to the ground not by gravity, but by centrifugal force as the earth rotates. The stars according to this theory, are twinkling chunks of ice suspended high in the air, and the illusion of day and night is caused by a rotating central sun that is half brilliant and half dark. Now that is a wild, wild theory. Of course, we all know that that is absolutely not true. Out of all the hollow earth theories that I've already just run through, we can safely say that one has been debunked by now. 
So fast forward to 1906. William Reed published The Phantom of the Poles, in which he claimed that nobody had found the North or South Poles because they didn't exist. Instead, the Poles are entrances to the hollow earth. And then in 1913, Marshall B. Gardner privately published Journey to the Earth's Interior, in which he rejected the notion of uh, concentric spheres, but swore that inside the hollow earth was a 600 miles, was was a, a sun that was 600 miles in diameter. And Gardner also claimed that there were huge holes a thousand miles wide at the poles. Now you got to remember, this is at the time when no one had been able to travel to the poles of the earth, both North and South. So no one really knew what was there. Now I, in my research for this, I was unable to find, and I'm, I know it exists, but I just wasn't able to find it, why these men thought that the, the, the sun inside the earth was 600 miles wide or why half of it was, was brilliant and the other half was dark. I, I don't, I, I mean, it was like they came up with these theories, just, just pulled it out of their ass or something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, um, this uh, inverted Earth theory, um, like I said, claims that we are held inside of the, the, that we are actually inside the Earth, held there by centrifugal force, and that the stars are twinkling ice and stuff. You know, once again, I don't know how these people um, decided that this was a valid theory. But nevertheless, we are talking about, you know, over 100 years ago when science wasn't as nearly as advanced as what it is today. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So, like I said, this is, let's talk about this inverted Earth theory a little bit more, that our civilization exists on the inside of the globe and we're held fast to the ground, not by gravity, but by centrifugal force. All right as the earth rotates. So the stars are twinkling chunks of ice suspended in the air, and the illusion of day and night is caused by this rotating central sun that's half brilliant, half dark. All right, so we've got that. And that was popularized by Cyrus T., right? And uh, this guy was, you know, from uh, Utica, New York, and he was one of the first people to popularize this idea. And he was so obsessed with this idea that he founded an entire religion based on it, changed his name to Koresh. Does that sound familiar? Not David Koresh, but he just changed, but he did change his name to Koresh and established a commune. Yeah, that sounds familiar too, for Koreshnity in Chicago in 1888. Now, man, what do you know? I don't really know a whole hell of a lot about David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, but what I man, I would love to, to look into that. And as I was researching this uh, topic, and I found this out, I could not ignore the connection. So I'm going to have to look into David Koresh and see if he got his name from what Cyrus T. Uh, 
changed his name to. I don't know if Koresh was actually David Koresh's real name or not. I don't know. I, like I said, I don't know hardly anything about David Koresh, but it's, it's just a coincidence, uh, too big of a coincidence to ignore. Anyway, in Germany, independently of this Koresh religion, another group was also founded that adhered to the inverted earth idea, and it was this concept that was accepted by parts of the Nazi hierarchy. So here's where the Nazis are coming into play. Hitler's Nazis were convinced that they were destined to rule the world, and they came to this warped conclusion through the acceptance of many occult beliefs and practices, including astrology, the prophecies of Nostradamus, and the hollow or inverted earth theory. And I'm going to attempt to pronounce this. It's Hohenwelcher, and I know that was not it, but I was so close. (laughs) Because they suspected that our surface is on the interior of a concave earth, Hitler sent an expedition, including Dr. Heinz Fischer and uh, powerful telescopic cameras, to the Baltic island of Rügen to spy on the British fleet. Fischer did so not by aiming his cameras across the water, though, um, but he pointed them upwards to peer across the atmosphere to the Atlantic Ocean. Now, of course, needless to say, this expedition was a failure, and Fisher's cameras saw nothing but sky, and, of course, the British fleet remained safe. So here we are into the Third Reich. Now, in April of 1942, Nazi Germany sent out an expedition composed of its most visionary scientists to seek a military vantage point in the hollow earth. Although the safari of leading scientists left at a time when the Third Reich was putting maximum effort in their drive against the Allies, Goring, Himmler, and Hitler enthusiastically endorsed this project. The Fuhrer had long been convinced that the earth was concave and that man lived on the inside of the globe. And according to the theory advanced by the Nazi scientists, if the Third Reich were to position their most astute radar experts in the proper geometric area, they'd be able to determine the position of the British fleet and the Allied bomber squadron because the concave curvature of the globe would enable infrared rays to accomplish long-distance monitoring. So when the Nazi exponents of the hollow earth hypothesis sent the expedition to this island of Rundgren, they had complete confidence in this pseudoscientific vision. So those nearest the Fuhrer shared his belief that such a coup as discovering the entrance to the inner world would convince the masters who lived there that the Nazis were truly deserving of mixing their blood in the hybridization of some sort of master race. Now, an important element in the Nazi mythos was the belief that representatives of a powerful underground secret race emerged from time to time to walk among us homo sapiens. Hitler's frenzied desire to breed a select race of Nordic types was inspired by his obsessive hope that it should be the Germanic peoples who 
who would be chosen above all other humans to interbreed with the subterranean supermen and the mutation of a new race of heroes, demigods, and godlike men. So here we have the legends of the old ones. Now, there are persistent legends in nearly every culture that tell of the old ones, an ancient race who populated the earth millions of years ago. The old ones were an immensely intelligent and scientifically advanced race, and they've chosen to structure their own environment under the surface of the planet and manufacture all of their necessities. The old ones are hominid, extremely long-lived, and predate Homo sapiens by more than a million years. The old ones generally remain aloof from the surface people, but from time to time, they've been known to offer constructive criticism. And it's been said they often kidnap human children to tutor and rear as their own. Now, there's scarcely a culture known to man that doesn't have at least one segment of their folklore built around some kind of troll-like creature that lives on the ground and does its best to steal the children of a surface people. So you have to look at it like that. And then we have a lot of, you know, each culture has a lot of similar tales and legends. So could this be, you know, like the troll living under the bridge type deal? In virtually all the legends, the old ones have gone underground to escape natural catastrophes or the hidden death that exists in the rays of our sun. At this point, a persistently propagated theory of Atlantis crosses the paths of the old ones, the mysterious teachers from the cave, which declares that the those Atlanteans who survived the great cataclysm learn to perpetrate themselves in underground caverns. An alternate theory has it that the cave masters are surviving colonies of extraterrestrials who, after walking the earth in some sort of godlike fashion, grew disgusted with the homo sapiens that were living here and retreated to underground bases from which they can watch over us primitives and watch our intellectual and cultural development. The Buddhists have even incorporated Agartha, a subterranean empire, into their theology and fervently believe in its existence and in the reality of underworld supermen who periodically surface to oversee the progress of the human race. And among the Native Americans, uh, the Navajo specifically, Navajo legends teach that the forerunners of man came from beneath the earth. The ancient ones were possessed of uh, with supernatural powers and were driven from their caverns by a great flood, which is yet another echo of the traditional Atlantis myth, right? Once on the surface, they passed along great knowledge to humans before they once again sought out a secret sanctuary, supposedly under the ground. Uh, the Pueblo 
the Pueblo Indians mythology places their gods' place of origin as being an inner world connected to the surface people by a hole in the north. Uh, Misawa, M-E-S-E-W-A, according to the Pueblos, was succeeded as leader of the gods by his brother, Owaiowa, O-Y-E-W-A, which uh, some researchers have pointed out is quite similar to the Hebrew name Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. It is very similar, isn't it? So then there's the legend that Hitler and many of his Nazi minions escaped to Germany in the closing days of World War II and fled to Antarctica, where at the South Pole they had discovered an entrance to Earth's interior. According to the Hollow Earth Research Society in Ontario, Canada, the Nazis are still there to this very day. After the war, the Allies discovered more than 2,000 scientists from Germany and Italy had vanished along with almost a million people, and supposedly they all disappeared into the lands beyond the South Pole, into one of these Sims holes, maybe. The story gets even more complicated with Nazi-designed UFOs, Nazi collaboration with the people who live at the center of the Earth, and the explanation for the Aryan-looking UFO pilots. And while the evidence for either hollow earth theory is close to like nothing. Although there are some people who claim to have proof, you know, in the form of of pictures, even though the evidence is very close to nothing, the story involving Nazis war and the the romance of exploratory adventure sounds like the makings of some sort of uh, Indiana Jones story. Right. And in fact, it is. And there is a book, called Indiana Jones and the Hollow Earth by Max McCoy. And in this book, Indy comes into the possession of a mysterious journal hinting at the existence of an underground civilization that he and the Nazis race to find. So is this going to be part of the uh, Indiana Jones movie franchise? It could be. Stay tuned. As I always say, turn on, tune in to find out. So this leads us to to explore something that I've already mentioned, which is Argatha. Now, it's well documented that the Nazis explored Arctic regions to set up bases and test new weaponry, but it's also well documented that Hitler and the Nazis were obsessed with esotericism and the occult. Now, this is where you start going down a deep, dark rabbit hole here. There are some people who go so far as to say that Hitler could have escaped to this underground world, um, though it might be counterintuitive if some sort of ancient enlightened society resided down there. Um, They might not have appreciated him, but there are people who say, okay, Hitler escaped into this underground world through a Sims hole that was in the South Pole. Nazi maps, believed to be instructions for reaching Argatha, have supposedly 
been corroborated by a letter from a German U-boat navigator named Carl Unger, who claims U-209 made it to Argatha and that the Earth is, in fact, hollow. The letter also mentions the notorious German generals Karl Haushofer and Rudolf Hess, who he says were correct about the hollow Earth theory. There's ample evidence the Nazis spent a lot of resources searching for Agatha, and as a last resort for Hitler to escape in case of a dire emergency, somewhat warranting these conspiracies, I think. In fact, the most common diagram of Argatha was drawn by a German scientist in 1935. Evidence also exists to indicate the Nazis may have believed we already lived on the inside of the Earth, as I've already mentioned. Some experiments of the Third Reich show a belief that the Earth was concave and that we reside on the interior of a sphere. In a bizarre 1942 experiment conducted by Nazi scientist Heinz Fischer on the island of Rügen, a team attempted to observe a British fleet by pointing the lenses of their infrared equipment up at a 45-degree angle. And I've already discussed this, and they, they believe that though the Earth was concave, normal rays were refracted off of the ocean, but infrared rays, of course, were not, and they saw only the sky, as we've already talked about. But this shows, you know, that they believed and searched for evidence of alternative Earth theories. Almost every ancient culture has a story or allusion to the inner realms of the Earth, right? As well as some sort of civilization or people at the center of it. And many of these places of, are, are of like purgatory where... The spirits of the dead reside rather than a flourishing, you know, living, breathing society. The Greeks spoke of uh, Hades. The Christians refer to it, of course, as hell. In, in Judaism, uh, they refer to it as Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. But most of these underground domains, like I said before, are more allegorical and religious tools used to deter people from sinning rather than the realms of actively, you know, existing. However, there are closer depictions of Ragatha described by some cultures with related cities and passageways to get in. And uh, Buddhism, there is the secret mystical city of Shambhala, located somewhere deep in the Himalayas that many people have searched for, including Russian mystic. Mystic Nicholas Rorick, and though no one is known to have have found Shambhala or the entrance yet, some believe that it could uh, potentially be connected to the aforementioned Argatha. In Hindu and Celtic lore, which some believe shared an ancient connection through a lost antediluvian city, there are caves and underground entrances to subterrestrial worlds. Some have connected the Hindu land of Aravarta, or abode of the excellent ones, a land that was ruled by a supernatural race thousands of years before the Great War, and uh, that was uh, described in the Mahabharata. Many believe this ancient race is of the same lineage as the ancient civilizations from Atlantis, Lemuria, and Mu, 
that were wiped out by war and cataclysmic events, which drove them underground to Argatha. Now, there's another underworld in the Hindu Mahabharata known as Patala. And there are people who point to, as it shares many similarities with depictions of a subterranean world, though it's said that they are at war with Argatha. Patala is the seventh layer of the underworld in Hindu scriptures and is ruled by the Nagas, a half-human, half-reptilian species who are depicted with uh, jeweled hoods that light their, uh, their realm. The Naga are a highly advanced race with cutting-edge technology, and occasionally they are said to abduct, torture, and kill humans, though other accounts refer to them as having a positive impact on earthly events. So, you know, goes to both extremes. We will probably never find out if there is an underground civilization that exists below the surface of the earth. There have been attempts to drill down as far as possible to see what's there, and the Kola Super Deep Borehole made it about seven miles down. And the Russian team that led the operation didn't find Arkatha, although if it does exist, would probably be much further down than seven miles. So we've talked about the different belief theories and we've made the journey to Argatha. We've talked about what the Nazis believed and the Third Reich and the legends of the old ones. So I talked about very briefly Admiral Byrd. So let's let me back up here and let's revisit the Admiral Byrd expedition with Operation High Jump. In 1964, Raymond W. Bernard, an esotericist and leader of the Rosicrucians, published this book called The Hollow Earth, The Greatest Geographical Discovery in History Made by Admiral Richard E. Byrd in the Mysterious Land Beyond the Poles. The True Origins of the Flying Saucers. That was the whole book title. Admiral Richard E. Byrd of the United States Navy flew to the North Pole in 1926 and over the South Pole in 1929. And in his diary, he tells of entering the hollow interior of the Earth along with others and traveling 17 miles over mountains, lakes, rivers, green vegetation, and animal life. And he tells of seeing tremendous animals resembling the mammoths uh, of antiquity moving through the bush. And he eventually found cities and a thriving civilization. He says that the external temperature was 74 degrees Fahrenheit. His airplane was greeted by flying machines of a type that he had never seen before. And his plane was commandeered midair and landed for him by people in the center of the earth who intercepted his plane with saucer-shaped aircraft. They escorted him to a safe landing area where he was graciously greeted by emissaries from Argatha. After being allowed to rest, he and his crew were taken to meet the king and queen of Argatha, and they told him that he had been allowed to enter Argatha because of his high moral and ethical 
character. How they knew this, I don't know. They went on to say that they were worried about the safety of our planet due to H-bombs and other testing done above the surface by the governments of the, of the world. And after the visit, Admiral Byrd and his crew were guided back to the surface of the planet. So the striking issue regarding the validity of this story, now he wrote this in a diary, and the the issue regarding the validity of this diary entry is that it's dated February 1947. If it's to be believed this story covers Bird's inaugural flight over the North Pole, then one need only look at the actual date when he achieved this feat, which was more than 20 years earlier on May 9, 1926. In fact, upon further inspection or investigation, it appears Admiral Byrd probably didn't quite reach the North Pole and instead fabricated his navigation records, uh, taking credit from another team that actually set the record a few days later. But what makes this story so intriguing is that if it's real, could it have potentially been misconstructed from a later mission to Antarctica? Is it actually referring to the notorious Operation High Jump? Now, High Jump, Operation High Jump, was one of the largest operations ever conducted in Antarctica with over 4,000 men sent to study, map, and reside on the continent for eight months. The expedition was huge. It included 13 Navy support ships, an aircraft carrier, helicopters, flying boats, and an array of more traditional aircraft. This expedition, as well as the subsequent Operation Deep Freeze eight years later, established an American military presence on Antarctica, which is prohibited today. So why exactly was there such a rush to facilitate this occupation? So Byrd later on told a reporter for the Chilean newspaper El Mercurio that his expedition taught him the U.S. should, and I quote, prepare for the possibility of hostile planes coming from the polar regions. As part of a recapitulation of his own polar experience, many took this to be evidence of the flying craft that he saw coming from what's believed to have been Argatha. In January of 1956, Admiral Byrd led an expedition to the South Pole, and on that expedition, he and his crew penetrated down 2,300 miles into the center of the Earth. Admiral Byrd stated that the North and South Poles are only two of many openings into the center of the Earth, and he wrote about seeing a sun below the Earth. Now, this is quite amazing. And I'm not saying that this is true. I'm just saying this is what is being told, right? So Dr. Raymond Bernard tells stories about people who've entered the inner earth and what has happened to them. And he, it mentions a photograph published in 1960 in the Globe and Mail in Toronto, uh, Canada, which shows a beautiful valley with lush hills. An aviator claimed that he had taken the picture while flying into the North Pole. Now something into and not above, right? And Bernard has also authored uh, a book called Flying Saucers from Earth's Interior, 
Uh, this guy's real name was Walter Sigmeister. Now, in his letters from nowhere, uh, which is another book, I believe, Bernard claims to have uh, been in contact with great mystics and and uh, secret ashrams and with grand lamas in Tibet. In short, he was, um, oh, man, it, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. It, he was he was very, um, let's just say, liberal with his descriptions. Uh, he wound up dying of pneumonia on uh, September 10, 1965, while searching the tunnel openings in the interior of the earth in South America. Now, Bernard seems to have accepted every legend ever associated with the hollow earth idea, including the notions that the Eskimos originated within the earth in an advanced civilization, uh, and there's an advanced civilization that dwells even now, uh, revving up their UFOs for occasional forays into uh, our world. And uh, Bernard even accepted without question uh, claims that uh, people had learned the secret of, of uh, relativity before Einstein, and they had learned this from the hollow earth people. Now, Admiral Byrd actually referred to Antarctica as the land of everlasting mystery. He once wrote, I'd like to see that land beyond the pole. That area beyond the pole is the center of the great unknown. So there's a lot of theories and conjecture out there, and a lot of craziness associated with these hollow earth theories. Now, if it's to believe, if it's to be believed that the earth is in fact hollow and the home to all manner of super race and megafauna and all these animals and stuff, why have we never contacted these people? And why have they never tried to contact us? Or why haven't we ever gone there? Now, according to some hollow earth theorists, we have, but an international banking conspiracy has worked to cover up the existence of the hollow earth and hide evidence of any of the Sims holes. That's very convenient, isn't it? This sort of paranoid conspiratorial thinking tends to be another hallmark among modern hollow earth believers because really there's no other force that could be keeping us from engaging with the wonders of the inner earth given our current level of technology and exploratory freedom, right? One of the most popular pieces of evidence for the hollow earth theory is a supposed secret journal entry by the aforementioned Admiral Richard Byrd, who claimed to be the first person to fly over the North and South Pole. And according to believers, Byrd's secret journal from 1947 included a report of flying into one of the Sims holes and making contact with the race that lives inside the earth. Of course, this too has supposedly been covered up. Through the mid-2000s and into the early 2010s, there's actually a long-lasting expedition known as the North Pole Inner Earth Expedition. Unfortunately, after a number of setbacks, including backers and members of the team falling victim to calamities ranging from cancer to fatal plane crashes, the expedition was put on hold. Now, had this expedition been successful, the team would have chartered one of the world's largest ice-breaking ships, straight to the North Pole, where they would have attempted to contact the Denzians of the Hollow Earth through the Sims Hole they believed they would find. Expedition leaders believe 
that the various setbacks to the project are the work of the international banking conspiracy, but it's hopeful they'll someday be able to get funding and a new expedition leader to help continue the project. And even if they don't, the hollow earth theory will likely continue on anyway. Until humans can actually peer into the earth's core, who can say that it's not filled with Germans or aliens or a very small sun, right? Scientists have dug holes deep into our earth, trying to find out what exactly is beneath the surface. What they found showed that we really don't know exactly what's down there. Many of our theories were proven wrong, and we learned a lot more about the Earth's crust. For example, uh, there was a layer of basalt known as the Conrad Discontinuity completely missing. Not there. While the presence of water was detected where it shouldn't have been. So this just really goes to show that we don't know what's down there. And I am not a big proponent of the hollow earth theory. I just, I don't see how there can be a, a sun inside of our earth. I, especially not one that's both light and dark. That is crazy. It doesn't even make sense. Um, I know you can see pictures uh, of uh, these strange gigantic holes in the South Pole and stuff. And, you know, there are claims that this could be evidence of, you know, Hitler's secret underground Antarctic base, or it could be a Sims hole. You know, I, I'm not disputing the fact that there are probably some large holes in, in the poles that we have, have never seen or never explored, but do they lead down to the inner core of the earth where there's a whole nother society of these giant mythological beings that are super intelligent and so super technologically advanced? No, I don't think so. There's not enough evidence. There's zero evidence to support that. So that is my two cents worth on the inner earth theory. Not going to happen. Does not exist. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Pair Reality. Ran a little over tonight, as I so am frequent to do. Let me know what you thought about the show. Uh, send me an email, sandman at parareality.com, or get in touch with me through any of my social media accounts. That's Parareality on Facebook or Parareal Radio on Twitter. Also, you can call the studio line, leave me a message, 615-692-1170. And don't forget to visit parareality.com often to keep up on the latest paranormal news from all around the world. That content is updated almost daily. And you can also shop in the Parareality Radio store, watch some of the terrible videos that I've made for the show over the years, and you can actually follow my social media accounts right at the bottom of the parareality.com homepage. Social media is where you can find out all about what's happening behind the scenes of the podcast because that's where I post a lot of interesting articles and show topics and other interesting stuff such as my travels and my investigations. Parareality.com is really your one-stop shopping for everything that is happening in the Parareality world. And speaking of the Parareality store, I have a bunch of new merchandise in the Parareality store. Yeah, give it up. Yeah, finally. I got just tons and tons of stuff. More is being added uh, on a weekly basis. 
the I've got tons of uh, shirts and uh, totes and hats and mugs that's got uh, the new Parareality logo on it. I'm going to have a whole bunch more stuff that's coming soon. Like I said, stuff's going to be added weekly. The store is going to be huge. So please go to parareality.com, click on the extras tab, and you will be taken to uh, where you can shop in the Parareality store. So please help support Parareality and keep me on the air by buying some of my very cool merch. If you want to see what it is, just head on over to parareality.com, click on the extras tab, and you can be taken to the link for the new shop. Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. The show's available on such outlets as right here on Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Deezer, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podcast Attic, Apple Podcast, and you can even find me on YouTube. Just uh, my YouTube handle is Parareality with the number one on the end of Parareality One. Just and search for Parareality if you're on your 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 podcast platform of choice. And of course, if you have a smart speaker, you can listen there too. If you have any of the already mentioned podcast skills on your device, just uh, say, hey, play the Parareality podcast. I also now have a Patreon account for the podcast, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable, $5 a month or less. Each level offers exclusive content along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host on the show. Now, to learn more, head on over to patreon.com and look for Parareality. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing this podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you would help me continue to provide quality content. I do not make one single dime. Everything from my shop and everything from Patreon goes back into helping me create quality content for Parareality. Well, everybody, um, if you're tuning in tonight and you were expecting to uh, for me to have a guest, uh, Amanda Woomer from uh, Spook Eats, and you're saying, what in the hell was this uh, Nazi Hollow Earth theory? Well, I uh, Amanda was unable to, we had a scheduling conflict that was entirely my fault, um, and uh I was unable to get my interview with Amanda from uh, Spook Eats, and we are currently trying to renegotiate getting her back on the show. Um, I want to uh, publicly apologize to Amanda and uh, uh, for for um, um, making the mistake on my calendar. Uh, we were supposed to have an uh, pre-recorded an interview on one day. I had it down on my calendar as a different day, and uh, yeah, we kind of I, I I kind of dropped the ball on that, and we missed our ability to connect. And I'm still trying to get her on the show, and so uh, once again, uh, Amanda from Spook Eats, I hope to get hit you here on Pair Reality really really soon, and I apologize sincerely for uh, my uh, my absent mindedness. So um, Amanda from Spook Eats is going to come back on the podcast. We're going to have her on soon. And uh, keep on, if you're 
a Spook Eats fan or if you're wondering what the hell Spook Eats is and you're tuning in trying to figure out what it was, don't worry. We're going to get her on, and I'm going to make an announcement about that soon. So the next episode of Pair Reality is going to air on Friday, June 19th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope that this podcast opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, and I will see you again in two weeks. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.